Today's scripture reading is from 1 Samuel 1 through 20, on page 225. There was a certain man of Ramathea Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zeph, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On this day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously and to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went up year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah went up and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and the voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. They went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Started with a prayer. A prayer from a, a young woman with a desperate need, a prayer that she prayed out of her emptiness and out of her brokenness, a prayer from the heart. But the end of the story is more than just a son. You may have noticed that the book that Hannah read from bears the name of her son Samuel, as does the next book that we find in in the Bible. Samuel undisputedly became the first great unifying leader in the land of Israel. He was prophet. He was priest. He was judge. He was the man who would later anoint David to be king, and through that anointing would usher in the kingdom that culminated in Jesus. Now Hannah didn't know that yet. All she knew was that something was missing in her life, and it broke her heart. You think about those prayers that that you've prayed, the prayers that you've prayed from your heart, prayers from those deepest needs. And I wonder, what would happen 
What would happen if that prayer that you prayed changed the world? What would happen if that prayer you prayed changed the world? That prayer for a child, that prayer for a a loved one, maybe a loved one struggling with an addiction, that prayer that you prayed for someone in your life to finally surrender to Christ. What if that ended up being a world-changing prayer? That would be amazing. But the real issue when it comes to prayer is that you need to pray the kind of prayer that's going to change your world kind of prayer that changes you. You've, you've endured failure. You've endured attacks from other people. You've endured the loss of your hopes and dreams. You've put up with so much to the point of exhaustion. The first thing your prayer needs to change is your world. What would happen if you prayed a prayer like that? That's the kind of prayer that our Hannah read for us. The kind of prayer that Hannah prayed, and it's the kind of prayer that that we can pray also, the kind of prayer that you can pray, because in your need, in your desperation, you pray to the same God that Hannah prayed to, and you can pray the same kind of prayer. Just like Hannah, you can pray from your heart. You know, I've known some people who can pray some beautiful prayers. I've known some people who know all the right words. And when they pray, they get that right tone in their voice and they say those words with the right rhythm and you just sense that that's the right kind of prayer and you recognize, you know, wow, the the presence of God. I feel the presence of God when when I hear a prayer like that. Now make no mistake, this prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 1 was not that kind of prayer. It didn't sound like a prayer. It didn't look like a prayer. In fact, it sounds angry. It sounds angry, and it is. This prayer is raw. It is honest. You can almost hear Hannah beating her fists against the floor as she prays this prayer. Verse 10 says, She was deeply distressed, and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. There might be times in our lives when we're deeply distressed. There might even be times in our lives when we're bitter. We tend to hide those emotions. We tend to cover them up. We tend to pretend they don't really exist and everything's fine. But listen, God already knows what you're feeling. God already knows that those emotions are there. He knows your pain. Verse 16, Hannah says to Eli, I have been speaking, I've been praying out of my great anxiety and vexation. Hannah, don't you know? Anxiety is wrong. Anxiety is a sin. You know, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. Didn't she know that? Vexation. That's probably not a word you've used a lot, but it's one that you've felt. Vexation means to be annoyed, to be frustrated, even worried, to be angry, I think you can just say vexation means to be ticked off. And Hannah was ticked off. And God says, take that pain and pray out of that pain. Pray out of that need. In fact, I believe believe that God can hear your pain better than than He can hear your words. I think He hears your pain better than He hears 
your words. And so give that pain to Him. There's a promise in Romans chapter 8 that we love. Romans 8, 28. First memory verse I ever really had. I, I didn't even know where it was. I just knew it was in there somewhere. I was excited about that verse. And, and I, I had to go find it. It's a great promise. But if you read it in context, we really don't know what to do with it. Because Romans 8.28, really you have to begin in 8.26. And in verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 26, Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What do I do with that? Paul says that groanings are, are prayers. God hears a lot of prayers for me first thing in the morning when I get up. Oh, you know, there's all kinds of groaning. When we pray, we know what we want when we pray. We know what we want. We want God fix this problem. We want God give me this. I, I need that over there. I, help me stop doing this or, or help that other person stop doing this. That's what I need. God, just, just fix this problem. We know what we want, but we don't always know what the outcome of our prayer is going to look like. In fact, we rarely know what the outcome of the will of God is going to look like when we pray that prayer. And so the promise there in, in 8, verse 26, is that our groanings, those things that we don't know how to express in words, our groanings become the Holy Spirit's groanings, and our prayers are then given to God by the Holy Spirit who knows our hearts. And then verse 27 continues on. Verse 27 says, And He who searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So it's the Spirit who takes our prayers. And we don't know what the end of our prayer looks like, but it's the Holy Spirit within us who takes those prayers who gives them to God, who knows exactly what His will is, and then draws us through those prayers into the will of God, to what is best. And it's out of that prayer that one of the greatest promises in Scripture comes to us. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to to His purpose. Do you remember what Jesus said right before He gives us the Lord's Prayer there in, in Matthew chapter 6? Jesus teaches a little bit about praying. And He says in, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and, and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they've already received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees what is in secret, will reward you. It's not about your words. It's about your heart. It's about what is it that's in that secret place, deep down in there. Those things that you struggle with. Those things that maybe it would even frighten you if you admitted them about yourself. God is willing to meet you in that place. And when you pour out your heart to God, you need to realize that you are praying to a God that is bigger than your need. 
Whatever that need is, you are praying to a God that is bigger than your need. When Hannah prays here in verse 11, she does something that was never done in Scripture before her. She does something for the very first time that was something we had never seen in Scripture before. In verse 11, she prays, O Lord of hosts. And it's a very unique name for God. It's one that I've shared with you a few other times, but I want you to, to definitely see it here. Lord of hosts, it means God of armies, Yahweh of armies. Hannah is the first person to use that title for God scripturally. Following her, it gains traction. It gets used about 300 times in the Old Testament. Now, the name only shows up when Israel has reached its depths of failure and loss. And so you read Jeremiah's book, and the name occurs 80 times in Jeremiah's book. 80 times. It's also the name that David uses in 1 Samuel chapter 11, or excuse me, chapter 17, when David is going up against Goliath. And he says to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and with javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, and he will hand you to me today. It's the name for that group that shows up the night that Jesus is born in Luke chapter 2. And they speak to those shepherds on the hillside, and the very first thing they have to say when they show up is, don't be afraid. And it begins here. 1 Samuel chapter 1. It begins here with this woman. Really, it begins here with this girl. This, she's not a woman. Not by society's standards anyway. She's not a woman. She was cursed. She was looked down upon. She was seen as a failure. And, and so this, this girl has been picked on her whole life. She's been rejected by society. She's been picked on by this other woman, Penina. Penina pricks at her and taunts her and teases her with her children, her sons and daughters, which is proof of Penina's blessing. It's proof that God loves her. And her husband, Elkanah, he's no help either. And so with nowhere else to go, with no one else to turn to, she cries out, to the Lord of hosts. She cries out to the God of armies. I grew up right there at the tail end of, of what we call the, the Cold War. I grew up in a period of time when every night we went to bed, not sure whether or not we would wake up the next morning because we were just certain the Russians were going to push a button. We were certain that they were going to nuke us and that we would all be wiped out. It could happen any day, and we waited and waited for that. We had a policy, kind of an unspoken policy with the Russians in those days. We called it the policy of mutual assured destruction. Mutual assured destruction, or MAD, MAD for short. And it was MAD. But the policy was this. There was this understanding, Russia, if you nuke New York, we're going to nuke Leningrad. If you nuke Washington, D.C., we're going to nuke Moscow. And so no matter what you do, we're going to meet you with equal force. And it was insane. It was really mad. But it, it actually kept us alive. We did that because it was fair. They have a bomb. We have a bomb. They have two bombs. We have two bombs. And we just continued building those up 
for years and years. We did that because it's fair. But I want you to hear this. God does not play fair when it comes to prayer. God does not play fair when it comes to prayer. He's not going to meet whatever challenge you're facing with equal force and hope for a standoff. He's going to bring the armies of heaven against that problem, against that sickness, against that pain, against that tumor, against whatever it is that you're facing, against that addiction, and, and your prayer isn't about the right words. It's not about the right emotions. It's about the right God. And so I want your prayer to just become this. God, send the big guns. I don't care what the need is, how small it seems to you or how big it seems to you. Just say, God, send the big guns and take care of this. The God of armies. Now, there's, there's one other bit of advice that we can take from Hannah's situation, and it is so vital. Beyond knowing how to pray out of your heart, beyond realizing that you are praying to the Lord of hosts, please do this. Please, please do this. Pick your prayer partners carefully. Pick the people that you pray with carefully. And, and this feels like a minor thing, but believe me, it's important, and it's here in this text. It, it's very important. Being, being a prayer partner is a very important role, and it is not something to take lightly. It is not just finding someone who has the same schedule as you. It is not just finding someone who has the right words or who knows the right Scripture. It's about the right heart. It's about the heart that complements your heart. It's about someone who knows how to pray with you and what they can bring to your prayers. Now you look at the situation that Hannah was in. Would Penina have made a good prayer partner? <laughs> no. The fact is she's, she's called her rival for a reason. She, she enjoyed Hannah's misery. She loved Hannah's misery. She reveled in it. There are people in your life, and some of them may be even friends, there are people who love your misery. Yeah, they are. They love your misery. And they can be very, very supportive, but they're already miserable themselves. And the last thing they want to see is that, that you're not miserable. They want you to keep in that misery. And, and so they will, keep, they will keep you miserable. They will do what they can to add to it. Penina would not have made a good prayer partner. How about her husband, Elkanah? Did you see what he said? Look at verse 8. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? No. No, you're not. And you know, this was like 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago. And guys, we have not learned how to talk to women yet. We have no idea. The fact that the species continues is nothing short of a miracle because we have no idea how to talk to women. You know he practiced that, right? You know he practiced that, and it sounded great in his head until the words actually came out. And even then, he may not have noticed. But you know he practiced. He's like, I got it. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? 
Yeah, that was a cold night for Elkana. You got people in your life who will try to minimize your pain. Who will try to minimize your need. Don't let people make you feel bad for feeling something. Okay? That's not what a prayer partner does. Don't let people make you feel bad for feeling something. We've all got those friends who when you share with them what's really troubling you in your heart, and the first thing they're going to say is, you think you've got it bad. Let me tell you about something. And it's like it's a competition, you know? It's like, you know, I, I got something worse than that. Or I know somebody who's got something worse than that. Yeah, that's not the point. That's the wrong attitude. Don't, don't pray with people like that. I hate to say this, but they don't, they don't deserve your heart. They, they don't need to be that person who who knows your heart. And then you look at Eli. Eli wasn't perfect. I'm not going to lie to you. Eli was not a perfect guy. He was a bad leader. He was a bad father. Uh, but he was the prayer partner that she needed. Hannah tells Eli what her prayer is or, or how she's praying. She says in verse 17, uh, she, she, tells, she tells Eli her prayer. And then in verse 17, read, and then Eli answered, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Immediately after Eli adds his prayer to Hannah's, something changes. Immediately, something changes. Before, she's described with words like this, provoked. She wept. She wouldn't eat. She was deeply distressed. She wept bitterly. She had great anxiety and vexation. And then in verse 18, she's described like this. She went away. She ate. Her face was no longer sad. Now, did she have a son yet? No. Was she even pregnant yet? No. Elkanah is not going to touch her for a while after that comment that he made in verse 8. What changed? Well, her face changed. First of all, her, her outlook changed and her inner self. Eli says, go in peace. He was that person who could step outside of her need and see the will of God through that. And he was able to pray peace into her life. And so she was at peace. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. He doesn't say minimize one another's burdens. And he doesn't say make one another's burdens worse. He says bear those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus says a new command I have given to you that you love one another as I have loved you. That is the law of Christ, that we love one another. Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill and so love one another. Fulfill the law of Christ. You don't want someone who's just going to say the right words. You don't want someone who's going to try to talk you out of feeling bad. You want someone to come alongside you and share your burden in prayer. God, send the big guns. Send the big guns. Lord, 
of hosts, God of armies. There's this incredible picture towards the end of the book of Revelation. We have this image in Revelation 19 of the rider on a white horse. And it's an amazing picture. It's one of those things that just kind of fills your imaginations. What's that look like? What's that going to be like? We have this picture of the, of the rider on the white horse, and he is fierce. He is powerful. He is triumphant. On his head are many diadems. That are, those are crowns. He is, he, he is king of kings. And it says there in Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11, John says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And we hear that, the Word of God, and we immediately know who this is. This this is Jesus. This is Jesus, the Word of God. But this isn't lowly Jesus, meek and mild. And this isn't the, the suffering servant. This is the triumphant returning King. And then in the very next verse, verse 14, it says, And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following Him on white horses. The armies were following Him. This Jesus. This is the God of angel armies. This is the God of armies. We sang some sweet little songs about Jesus. And we ought to. Every now and then we need a sweet little song about Jesus. We sing sweet little songs. We sing sweet little songs like tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus alone. Tell Jesus your, your troubles. Tell Him your sorrows. We, we sing those little songs. There's no other such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus alone. And it's a great little song. We sing what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What a great little song those are, but those songs don't even begin to touch the power that is coming against that problem that keeps you up at night. That thing that is plaguing your heart. Those songs don't even begin to touch what God is unleashing against those problems. You're taking your struggles to the King of Kings. You are taking your struggles to the Lord of lords. You are taking your struggles to the God of armies. And you're saying, God, you bring the big guns. You bring the big guns against this. So what's in here that you don't let out? What's in here that you're even afraid to admit is in here? That you're afraid someone else might find out. Maybe maybe you're afraid of even hearing those words yourself. And you're afraid to wonder what it might do to you. What it might do to me if I have to admit I have this problem. I have to admit that I have this need. And what might the God of armies do if I unleash Him in prayer against these problems? 
I don't know exactly what you're facing today. I don't know exactly what's in here. But I know exactly what God we pray to. We pray to the King of kings. We pray to the Lord of lords. We pray to the God of angel armies. He is not someone who is inaccessible. You don't have to make an appointment and then not even be sure if he's going to remember to keep the appointment. He's right there. We meet him at this table every week. We meet him every time there's a need. He opens himself up to us. What a friend we have in him. What an amazing God. We're going to sing a song here. You guys have sung it a time or two. We're going to sing along with a, with a video. And it is just a powerful, powerful song that reminds us of who this God is that we pray to. And then we're going to come and meet Him at the table together. Let's take just a moment and pray for